Michael may have mentioned some time ago, the size of this is so small. Things are <laughs> flowing around or floating around, falling. It's good to be with you here today in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> it's been a really busy and impactful week, hasn't it? So my thoughts are, let's just take a second now, take a deep breath. Let's take some rest together. Let's shake off the week. This is his day. He made it for you, and he made it for me. So let's think about this for a moment. In all of his creations and all the things that he made, he included with it, or he included with it, time. He made a day. It's recorded in Genesis, right? He made days. He actually made seven of them in a week, and he designed one of them for our use. But also, one of them he said to reserve and make it holy. Keep it separated for him, but also for us. Jesus actually said in Mark 2, 27 and 28, he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So what does that mean? Well, it's hard for me to visualize the blueprint he must have designed to make something like the Sabbath. But I want to point out that he designed the Sabbath both for you and me and also for him. As he said, it was made for man. Jesus is the very man of all men. Or to put it another way, as he said, actually in a better way, the Son of Man. And so therefore, the very best representative for all mankind, Jesus, the Son of Man, owns the Sabbath. Just like he said. He literally is the Lord of the Sabbath. So we're also in this room together. This is also his room, right? So this is his room, his house. If we look around, we see in this room, it has walls and windows. We have a tiled floor. We have chairs that we're sitting on. We even have a cup of coffee to enjoy later today. I pause for effect. <laughs> so in this house, we have these items, but I think we can all agree that the items don't necessarily make the house, right? It's not about the structure. It's not about the condiments. It's really about him and you and me being in this place together. That's what makes it more like it is his. You follow? So we're actually going to review this today. We're going to review this whole notion of being in his house as we take a look at the last half of Romans chapter 14 today. We're going to hear about a reflection of his kingdom and what it is really like as we learn about how we want to behave one to another. So the reading of this book will be chapter 14, uh, verses 14 to 23. That is basically to the end of chapter 14. But I'm really going to place a strong emphasis on verse 17 because I believe this is one of the main central points of the entire book of Romans. Verse 17. I can even extend this out to say this. This verse is probably 
a main theme in all of Scripture. That's right. You did not mishear me or misread me. I believe that is actually true. Of course, I love all the central main themes in Scripture. There are a lot. There'd be quite a few. But I do love this one. In particular, I love this one this morning. Lastly, this chapter finishes with a solid application that I also believe is very pertinent for us today. So I'm going to go ahead and reveal the end of this movie, per se. I'm going to reveal the end here right now. Uh, the end of this message, the point of this message is here. It's about peace. That's right. Living peacefully brings his kingdom right into our homes. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you've brought us here together to be able to take a rest, to take a pause, and to look at your word. And Lord, your word becomes alive. It's living and it's active. And one of the things that's so beautiful about that is one of the things that kind of energizes your word is the life that we live. We see how alive your word is by the life you give us. We see how active your word is by the notions that we apply the things in your word and we see how your word actually works and how wonderful it is. And we see many times how when we fail or how when we fall, your word shares with us potential consequences. And wouldn't you know, these consequences, just like you say, happen. That's good to see, God. It's good to know that this life that you give us is purposeful. And one of those purposes, we get to see how alive your word is. And with that, your word points to an ultimate life, a continued life, one that will never end. And we have that to look forward to. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to consider one of the great notions and one of the great concepts of your word, of, of your word, of this word of God. And that is of peace and the peace, God, that you bring. And I pray, God, that we'd be ready to hear and know that that's one of the things that's alive and it's living for us today. And so uh, I'm looking forward to living this life that you provided. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so when I'm trying to accomplish something or when there's something that's new or that we want to make a kind of change in our lives, I said I am. I guess I ought to say we. When we uh, want to try something new or try to accomplish something, um, a lot of times we need to review two things. Number one, we need to know what we should stop doing. And number two, what do we need to start doing? Another way of saying that might include, number one, that I need to stop thinking a certain way or I need to stop thinking this way. And then number two, I need to start thinking that way. Does that make sense? When we're trying something new, those are two very important things that we need to do. So an example, I need to review what to stop doing. That is to take a purposeful step in observing what it is that I really am doing and then actually decide to make a stop. An example could be like anything. I mean, it could be anything. Like deciding to quit using a name brand item at a grocery store when shopping for groceries in order to provide maybe more savings. So we need to know what we intend to stop doing. 
Now let's take a look at the second step here. So number two, I need to decide to start then to do something new. Back to the grocery example. If I've stopped buying name brand items, it would make sense now to begin buying generic brand items. I'll need to learn what they are and then begin to act on these new purchases. Of course, with that, I now will have changes in my outcomes. I see now I'm going to have some sort of savings for making this change. Does that make sense? So, as we would expect, the Bible is filled with the notion of making a decision change or changing our mind. This is what we would call repenting. Repenting. Certainly we can spend a month of Sundays <laughs> talking about this very important topic, but that's, that's not for today. Instead, what I want to do is I want to take some time to bring from this concept this notion of stopping and starting in order to talk about something else. So we're going to take some time now and we're going to read Romans 14 and then I'm going to describe what I mean by all of this. So um, let's do this. Let's please stand for the reading of his word. I'm going to be reading Romans 14, verses 14 through the end, basically verse 23. See, this is the word of the Lord, starting in verse 14. I know I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Is it, good? it is good neither to eat meat, <coughs> pardon me, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you not have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Please be seated. This is the end of Romans 14. So I want to pull out a verse here and take some time. I'm going to pull out verse 17, and I'm just going to reread it. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stay here for a while. Do you sense that there is a stopping and a starting with that? Or maybe put it this way of what heaven is not and what heaven is. 
You sense that? Yeah, me too. So let's talk about this. The kingdom of God is the topic that's now at hand. And we clearly see there are things for us to know that it is not. It is not about eating and drinking. Do you notice that scripture points to probably the two most important things for us to do in our lives in order to survive? Those are the very things the kingdom of heaven is not. Do you notice that? So when we think about his kingdom, we're not going to think about our earthly desires or our earthly needs or our plans. So in a way, in a very major way, our very survival here on earth is not exactly the topic of heaven. Jesus even makes this point in another context when he said in Matthew 16, verse 25, he said this, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Scripture also says in Romans 12, verse 2, we read it before, says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This transformation has a what not to do. That is, not to be conformed to this world. Also has a to do. That is, to be transformed. Being conformed to this world would lead us to a place that would include the elements of the world, like food and drink. right? But being transformed by the renewing of your mind places us in the place leading toward heaven or his kingdom. For example, like righteousness, peace, and joy in his Holy Spirit. So we're simply being distracted if we're pressing toward the things that heaven or the kingdom of God is not. Right? So I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time on what the kingdom is not, because what I would like to do is take the time to describe what the kingdom of heaven is. So we're moving from number one and we're going to number two for a minute. Righteous, this is what the kingdom of heaven is. So let's take a look at some of these descriptive words that the Bible gives of the kingdom of heaven. They're this, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Quick observation here, these things are not really objects for us to pick up and measure in a physical sense. Like, we're not talking about a piece of paper. Um, we're not talking about my antiquated cell phone with limited memory and limited minutes. Some of you know about that. But we are talking about these things that are objective and are measurable, but not in a physical sense. Okay, So we're going to take some time to discuss each point here and hopefully provide them in the context, context of how they fit in heaven and how they operate in his kingdom. Let's take a look at righteousness. First thing that the description is given in verse 17, righteousness. So let's talk about this for a moment. Truly, I can't imagine what complete righteousness would look like, but I want to consider it and make an effort here to just scratch the surface. And I'm going to do this with each of these. Okay? 
And please know, when you're hearing a description, that's all I'm doing. I'm just barely scratching the surface for, for any of these. So where can we find a few elements that we could look at or look like maybe or where we would look? How about, let's start with the law of God. If we're looking for righteousness, the law of God is probably the best place to start. So you would know that we're growing in our love for his law today. But have we really considered what it would actually look like if it had grown, or if we had grown our love in his law to its fullest? Have you thought about that for a minute? I'll admit, it's hard for me to imagine what it would look like or what it could look like, let alone try to bring the topic to us this morning. And it gives us something really meaning to give us something uh, really meaningful, but I know it's an important point for us to remember. Righteousness certainly is shown in our behavior. But we also want to be reminded that true righteousness has come from Christ and that he is actually the righteous one. So there is a pressing on for us, but he is its full representative. I say this because we can't actually know where to look as the example. So we have the example of his life, right? And we have the recording of his life in his word. So that's where we can go to look. His kingdom, by the way, is not a path toward chaos and distress. I'm back to that number one for a moment. It's not that. It is, though, actually becoming more and more orderly and filled with love. That's his kingdom. So we got to know that. we got to know that, although we may not notice it in an obvious sense, it is truly happening right before our eyes. Another pause for effect. It's actually happening right before our eyes. Hard to believe? Well, let me give you an example. Helps me anyway to wrap our brain around. All of our families, we look around us, we have children. We've experienced children, and some of us are children, in one way or another, whether it be by being a mom and a dad or maybe being a brother or a sister, we can say we've experienced children. Got it? So, has anyone in this room, anyone in this room ever watched a baby growing into being a teenager? It's a trick question. The answer is, of course, yes. Yes, every day. All of us are growing older, and every day our children are getting bigger, right before our eyes. I like to say it this way. My children are actually growing one glass of milk at a time. Sometimes maybe one gallon of milk at a time. My hair grows every day, pointing to my head. You could also look at my ear here. But just like you, I don't notice the slightest change ever. I don't see it. I see nothing change. I know it does change with time, but today it looks exactly like it did yesterday. And today it's going to represent, I'm sure, exactly what tomorrow will be. But if that were actually really true, we would have nothing in this room but babies. 
You follow me? We would have no toddlers. We would have no teenagers. We wouldn't be adults. So obviously something is actually happening right before our undiscerning eyes. So I want to put the same thought, I can, in another context. We've got to know this. He conforms us to his son, as described in Romans 8.29. For those he did foreknow, he did predestine to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are actually in the process of being conformed toward the actual law giver. So we must also know that by doing this, we are naturally, or rather supernaturally, by his spirit, becoming more in tune with his law. Does that make sense? So imagine a place where there is no lying. This is my scratching the surface. So imagine there's a place where there's no lying, no theft, no wish to break the law, no desire to seek your own. Instead, you love righteousness. Instead, you love to give to people. You love to walk the second mile for the sheer pleasure of it. You, by the way, are completely satisfied with walking the first mile as well. You never seek your own at the expense of your neighbor. Well, someday, that's going to be us. So all we're doing here is we're trying to imagine how this will look someday. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you and get a brief picture of what it could look like as well. And I'm going to take a minute. I'm actually going to read in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 20 and 21. So hear this. Verse 20, this is the end of Zechariah. It says, In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Okay, this comes at the end of Zechariah. I'm reading that. There are people, this is what I'm visualizing. There are people there who are living in unity. They even have phrases, holiness to the Lord, engraved on their pots. And so when I read this, I'm just imagining a, a village where everyone knows one another and loves his law and they love one another. I know this maybe isn't exactly heaven, but my mind goes there when I read this. I just love how this book ends. And anytime I can give a plug for it, I will. By the way, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 20 and 21. It's a good read. Now, what about peace? and joy in his spirit. So peace. Think about this for a bit. Let's scratch this surface. A few elements there could include this. Perfect peace. No possibility for arguments. No hurt feelings. No potential for it. No possibility of fighting. No possibility for war. The tongue has been perfectly tamed. There's no fear as perfect love has arrived. So this is kind of hard to imagine as well, right? Believe it or not, we are actually on this path. Did you know that? So let's read from his word 
some comforting words. And let's read about this path in getting there. So I'm reading out of Numbers. Verse 26, or verse, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verses 22 to 26. So this, here we go. Starting in verse 22, says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Here's our answer. He brings it to us. We don't need to conjure anything, and in fact, we can't. But knowing this actually gives me peace. If, if I truly had to be the one to bring peace myself, I would fail miserably. You've got to know what I mean. If we truly had to create peace on our own, it would stress us all entirely. Kind of ironic, I know. My creating peace would in fact create stress instead. I'm going to repeat that. My creating peace would in fact create stress instead. you agree with that? So, let's relax here. And let's stop doing this. Number one, let's stop conjuring up peace. And let's start to trusting in the one who will bring peace. Just as assuredly as he brings his kingdom. Right? Can you imagine for a moment <coughs> what this blessing would look after it's been fully realized? That is to say, when we have his favor, when we have his protection, we have his support and his grace, he's the one who gives it. We're talking about his kingdom for sure. And we're talking about what it will look like when we are in heaven. And of course, we're, in, we're understanding something here. We've not fully realized this, what it looks like here on earth, but I guarantee this, it is happening before you and me, right before our eyes. He's the one that's bringing it. Heaven's hair is growing. <coughs> okay, I did get a couple chuckles. So let's continue with another point listed in this verse. So what does it look like when he gives you peace? So I'm going to read a couple verses or a couple sections here. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So as we consider this peace of God, we see some elements of this peace. We can see uh, some of what we can expect in his kingdom. So what are we seeing here? Well, restoration. We are going to have restored relationships. I think we can all agree that our relationships today are not entirely restored at this moment. 
But we can also see there is a way here. We, we, have a play, we have something to do. We can aim for it. This verse just said to aim for restoration. If there's nothing to aim for, this whole point would make no sense. Has anyone ever gone target practicing without a target? Mr. Goldsmith was talking about this this morning, having folks over to target practice. I bet there will be a target. <laughs> let's think for a minute about broken relationships. Or put it like we just read it, aim for restoration. Let's think about how this looks. Now, versus how things looked about a year ago. Notice anything different for how things look now versus how they looked a year ago? Let's take the same path that we're reviewing and let's look out into the future. Do you believe that that will continue to develop? If so, then you do believe that peace will grow in your life. And believe it or not, you and I actually have some work to do in helping this ushering in this peace. Do you agree? So as we aim for restoration, let's comfort one another along the way. This is said because, as we all know, we need comfort. All of us. Not one person in this room can go on this path without it. I think we can all agree that our path this past year has not been easy. Actually, on the contrary, our path has required comfort. But you know that what is right here in this verse. I have to believe that we are not alone here, that everyone needs comfort. Do you follow what I just said? Everybody needs comfort. You're not alone. I'm not alone in the notion that I might need comfort. That's a great truth in Scripture. We all need it. We all need comfort. Nobody's the man who's too tough to need it. And there's not a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather who's too tough to need comfort. Right? You got to agree with that? So as we live together and as we grow together and develop our lives together, we will observe and grow in our understanding that this path is one that will actually lead to peace. Of course, we don't know when or how, but we do know the one who will usher it in. We just read it. The God of love and peace will be with you. Interesting to know something here. I know this may sound like I'm taking us back to an earlier point, but I want us to know that living in peace will actually bring us back to righteousness. This path actually grows in on itself, and it becomes a little easier as we go. So pay attention. I'm going to read out of the book of James. It says this. James 3, verse 18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. I look over my glasses. James says that. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Please notice something here. This just didn't say this. This didn't say living in righteousness will create a harvest of peace. Catch that? It didn't say when you live in righteousness you will reap peace. No. Always needing to be right will not develop a culture of peace. 
Ironically, a culture of peace will bring in the righteousness of his kingdom. Remember, we're talking about his kingdom and his righteousness, not your or my kingdom <coughs> with your or my righteousness. Remember? Don't forget, we're in the process of being conformed by him and to him. And also remember, we cannot conjure our own peace. I'm reminded that when I try, I actually bring in more stress. True peace will come from the true peacemaker. Right? So we are developing or we are sensing this development of his kingdom. So at least to me, that's what this sounds like. So as we complete this narrative from Romans 14, 17, let's conclude in the joy in the Holy Spirit. Can anybody imagine heaven with his actual presence? Let me scratch the surface a little again. Can we imagine his kingdom without the presence of joy? Of course not. Here are some other words of description that might be helpful for how we will feel as we continue traveling on this path. We will be delighted. We will have jubilance. We'll be jubilant. We'll be glad. We will be exhilarated. We'll be elated. We will be thrilled. Picture on a roller coaster. We will be thrilled. We will be. Have you noticed, by the way, what we've been doing in this entire message? Please know we've been honoring his word and prayer. Jesus' word and prayer is quoted in Matthew 6.10 when he was teaching uh, when he was teaching how to pray, this is the Lord's Prayer. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Catch that's what we've been doing. Pro Proverbs 10.28, first part of Proverbs 10.28 says this, the prospect of righteousness is joy. The definition of prospect is this. It's a possibility or likelihood of something to occur in the future. So, of course, his will being brought on earth will, as we just read in the Lord's Prayer, will naturally bring with it his joy. The prospect of righteousness is joy. Remember an earlier point that sowing peace will bring about a harvest of righteousness? Well, let's just notice now that righteousness brings a possibility and likeliness of joy. We're actually completing this path. Do you sense that? We have joy, brothers and sisters, in our path. It is as certain as his very presence. His kingdom is filled with joy. As we continue in the path of bringing his kingdom, we too will experience his joy. It is inevitable. It's going to happen. Peace leads to righteousness, which brings about joy. Is it any wonder that we close with the notion in this chapter that we should live peacefully with one another? You follow me? So we're going to reread from Romans, and let's receive our application for today. I'm not going to have a whole lot of commentary because I don't think I could say it any better. Because if we're talking about the notion of peace, righteousness, and joy, our application is best when I just read this. The Lord says it better than I ever could. 
Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Heaven. That was the end of it, by the way. Heaven is packed full of peace. Doesn't that sound good to hear today? And don't forget, who brings peace? That's right. It's all about Christ. And it always has been. So to close, John 6:48 says this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your father's talking about food. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes, cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Manna is eaten in the wilderness and we die. Jesus is the true bread of life from heaven. We eat this bread and we live. That's right. Heaven is not about eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness and peace and joy with his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us your word. I'm so thankful, God, that your word is alive, it's a living it's active. God, we get to experience the truth of your word and how right your word is, your righteousness. We get to experience it in our lives each and every day. We get to see cause and effect. We get to see that if we do this, then that happens. Lord, you tell us today that if we sow in peace, we'll bring about righteousness, leads us to joy. What a good thing to know that your kingdom is coming. Though we may not see it day in and day out, it most assuredly is coming today. And it's coming tomorrow. Your kingdom is coming. What a privilege to be a part of that. So I pray today we would know that. I pray today that we would live that. And I pray today that we would experience the peace that only you can bring in our lives. Because God, as you know, better than we do, we need it. So we thank you for bringing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.